We're finishing up a series today called Generous, and we named this series this way because I believe at Erie First, we, us, we are generous. We are a generous church. Wasn't that clever? I need you to clap so Jason continues to let me name our series because this one was my idea. Uh, But what I really believe is that with God's help, we have been able to bless many people here in Erie and around the world over the years our church has existed. Like God has helped us. In fact, just this week, uh, Pastor Danielle was in a store buying school supplies for her own children, and she got in line behind a woman with 60 backpacks in her cart. Now, that's not normal, (laughs) and so Danielle struck up a conversation, Pastor Danielle struck up a conversation with her, and she said, well, I buy backpacks for kids uh, at this specific school in inner city Erie because they often do not have the resources or the support to be able to get one, and Pastor Danielle took out her phone and texted me really fast, I'm in five below, and could you please, can I buy these book bags for her, (laughs) and I said, yes. And so what happened this week is you all, she looked at that woman, she said, I'm from Mary First Assembly, and my congregation wants to bless your ministry, and we're going to pay for all 60 of those backpacks. In fact, you have a picture. The woman cried. She said, who are you? (laughs) And, And Pastor Danielle said, listen, it's because my church is generous. And to be a generous church, there needs to be generous people in the church. And so thank you. Thank you for for clapping when I told you we did that. Thank you, I'm proud, I'm so proud of you. I'm so thankful to be part of this church family. Now God had a lot to say about generosity. Generosity is a big deal to God. In fact, in the scripture, uh, the word believe is mentioned 272 times. The word pray is mentioned 371 times. How many of you would say, those are two pretty important things if I'm a Christian, right? I gotta believe and I gotta pray. Love, the word love is mentioned 714 times. But you know the word give, or some derivative of it, is mentioned, if Dan Shot was up here, I'd say drum roll please, 2,152 times in the scripture. 2,152 times in the scripture. Why is giving so important? God obviously thought it was. Why is it so important as a Christ follower? Why does God talk about it frequently? Well, the answer is so important. It's because God himself is a giver. God himself is a giver. God himself is radically generous. And if we wanna be like him, which is the goal, right? Then we have to be givers too. Today I want to look closely at a passage in 2 Corinthians 8 that will show us some principles of giving. Now I'm not going to explain the boat or the toilet paper for a little while, so just keep on your toes, okay? Don't forget it's here. But that's the reason why I'm taken after Daniel last week. So here's the backstory on this passage we're about to read. Macedonia was a province in the northern part of Greece. And Corinth was on the southern coast of Greece. And Paul had planted churches in Macedonia and and in the cities of Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. And these churches had taken up a generous collection for the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And Paul, who is writing this passage, commends them for it. And he says, listen, 
Now he's going to go to Corinth, and he's going to use these other churches as an example of what they did. He's going to explain to the congregation what happened when the other churches took the offering. So that's what we're looking at today in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. So follow along with me this morning. It says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in, what does that say? Rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. And they gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God, who, by the will of God also to us. Okay, so we're going to look at this passage, and we're going to see a couple things that it teaches us um, about living generously. Okay, you ready for that? All right. Number one, our motivation matters. Our motivation matters. In verse two, Paul describes the Macedonian people as poor, Okay, they were dirt poor. They, they, they were in extreme poverty financially. They didn't have two nickels to rub together. But you know what they did have, the scripture says, was God's grace. God's grace that was free, but not cheap. God's grace. And they remembered, this is what the scripture says, that Jesus Christ died in our place on the cross. And that God put love in action and he gave his one and only son to bear the sin and the punishment that we deserved. And his blood was shed and his body was broken for us. And so on the cross, God's great and and incredible generosity was on display in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. And when we can keep in focus what God did for us, it will motivate us to give. If we want to echo and reflect the character of God, if we want to be generous with our resources and our time and our energy and our heart, God is a giver, and we can see that. You know, you can be motivated by the sermon. You can be motivated by the worship. You can even be captivated by the need. Maybe there's a certain need that just always gets you. You know, when you're watching, <laughs> when you're watching something, it just always gets you. That's just a need. And that's okay. These things can exist, and they can contribute However, our motivation should solely be that God our Father is a giver, and so we must be too. God our Father is a giver. That's a fact. And so we must be too, whether the commercial makes you cry or not. God is a giver, and so we must be too. And if you are struggling to be generous in any area of your life, I think this scripture reminds us, take a moment to remember what God has done for you to get a perspective, because we get to give. We get to. We don't have to be strong-armed into it. We we aren't required to do it. We get to. In light of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, it is our privilege and our honor to be able to live generously, and motivation matters. Motivation matters. All right, here's the second thing we can learn from that scripture. Attitude matters. Attitude matters. In the passage of 2 Corinthians, it says there was a formula here. And I actually believe you can give and not be generous. Anybody with me? I actually think you can give and not actually be generous. You can give resources. You can give time. You can give energy away. But if you don't have the right attitude, I think you're missing it completely. 
In 2 Corinthians 2, verse 2, it says, In the midst of their very severe trial, their overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So what two things got mixed together here? Extreme poverty with overflowing joy. Overflowing joy. Together, those two things made rich generosity. So without the joy, they're just in extreme poverty. (laughs) Without the joy... They are not able to give richly. The concoction is incomplete. It's interesting because the scripture talks about this just a few chapters later in 2 Corinthians 9 and verses 7 through 8. You probably will recognize this passage. It says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves what? A cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, in all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God loves a cheerful, joyful giver. And giving reluctantly or begrudgingly isn't always being, it isn't, you're actually not being generous. Attitude matters. Attitude matters. And if you are giving but it's a burden, or you are giving and it creates bitterness or fear in your life that you're not going to have enough, I want to encourage you to go before God and be honest with him. Say something like this. God, I want to be a cheerful giver. Like Deb said, I want to align my heart with the scripture, but I am not. Okay, newsflash, God already knows, okay? You're not fooling him. I am not, so will you please forgive me? Will you please change my heart? I want to have overflowing joy in what I get to give to you. And then I want to probably warn you, you're going to have to probably pray that again (laughs) and again and again, and you're probably going to have to pray over and over and over until you find your heart cheerful. But I do want to encourage you that this is a prayer that God loves to answer because it aligns your heart with his. He loves to answer those prayers. I am so struck uh, whenever I read Hebrews 12 too, because it's this passage that says that Jesus Christ, when he was about to go to the cross and give it all, not 10%, not not his down payment for his boat, but when he went to the cross to give it all, the most costly gift, the scripture tells us he had an attitude of joy. Hebrews 12, 2 says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning at shame, and he sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Attitude matters. All right, here's the third thing. Investment matters. Say that to the person next to you. Make sure they're awake. Investment matters. Investment matters. In 2 Corinthians 8, 4, we read that the people at the other churches Paul had just come from were urgently pleading for the privilege of being able to invest in the mission and meeting the needs of God's people. So basically it's saying is the people heard about the need and said, pick us. We want to give. Us, 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 pick us. We want to be the people who give. They want to be part of the kingdom initiative. They wanted to be part of what God was doing in their region. Paul wasn't traveling around trying to stir up excitement and collect money. He didn't have any bait and switch proposal like, if you give five weeks in a row, we'll put you in a a drawing and you could maybe win something. (laughs) No, he wasn't doing that. He was walking around just saying, hey, look, guys, we have a need. These Jewish Christians are having a hard time up there. And the people are coming. They're pleading. They're saying, what can we do? How can we help? We want to invest in the movement that God is doing. 
We want to invest in that. And the scripture talks about the tithe, and it talks about to bring one-tenth to the storehouse of God. And in the Old Testament, we would see that people would give one-tenth of their crops or one-tenth of their harvest, and they would give it to the Levites, and that would feed them and, and help take care of them. And so the priests could focus on building the kingdom, building the spiritual kingdom. And the scripture says that when we would, they would give their tenth to the storehouse of God, that that indicated they were part of the community, They were part of the spiritual community. That was the way that they would show it. They were part of what God was doing in the community, and they were investing in and feeding the spiritual work in that region. And when you are part of a family, you give generously to invest in the family. When I was in college, um, I lived with three other girls in a house with one bathroom, and um, that was a challenge all in itself, but we had a task chart. Okay, and we would rotate through who would do the dishes and who would clean the shower and who would mow the lawn. And so everybody had their their task and we all pitched in because we all lived there. We all paid rent because we all lived there, right? We all, uh, we didn't just get to live there for free. We split it three ways. In my home, I have three daughters. They have chores. They put away their own laundry. They, They unload the dishwasher. They're Schreiber's, so Joel has them stacking wood and changing the oil in the four-wheeler before they're in kindergarten, but, you know, it all works out. (laughs) He's nodding his head over here. That's a good idea. (laughs) Now, in my home, there's allowance for chores, um, but there are some things they do because they live there. Because they live there. Because we all contribute. We all live there. (laughs) We have to do it. And this passage is showing us that if you are part of God's family, if you are part of a church family, then giving is really important because we must give to invest in what God is doing for, within, and around our family. We have to give our resources, but we also have to give our time. We have to give our emotional energy. We have to give our prayer. One aspect of being part of a family is giving generously. And some of you might say, you know, I don't feel a part of this church family. In fact, I feel on the outside. I feel a little left out at times. Or I haven't, I haven't committed to any one church yet. I visit many of them. Um, all kind of depends on, you know, the, how close, how early I wake up, what the sermon topic is. I just kind of figure it out. Or maybe you would say, you know what, I don't know where God is using me. I want to be part of what God is doing, but I don't know how. I don't, I don't see what God is doing. I really want to encourage you to do this. Try giving generously. Because when you give, you invest in the family of God. You become part of the mission. You become part of the mission. When you give, you bought one of those 60 backpacks for that woman in that store. Because you're part of the mission. And so I really believe that what the scripture is saying is that you become part of what God is accomplishing, but you must invest in it. You must invest in what God is accomplishing. All right, here's the last one. Motivation matters, attitude matters, investment matters, identity matters. Identity matters. So I want to look at verse 5 for this, the last part of that passage. It says, they gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. These early Christians, they saw life through the right lens. They understood who they belonged to and what they were called to do. The scripture says that they gave themselves first to the Lord. So let me ask you an important question this morning. When you think about your life, when you think about you, 
What or who are you first? What are you first? I'm an accountant. I'm a fisherman. I'm a mom. I'm retired. I'm a Steelers fan when they're winning. (laughs) What are you first? What are you if all those other things went away? If you didn't have a job, if you didn't have a spouse, if you didn't have children, if you didn't have a hobby, who would you be? The early Christians in Macedonia were saying, first, 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 above all other things, above everything else I do all week, above everything else I think about, first, I'm a follower of Christ. That's the first thing I am. My life is his, my time is his, my energy is his, my vacation is his, my bank account is his, my future is his. And this is why when we give generously above all else, when we give everything we can above all else, if we're willing to declare and believe and live that, that, that we are, that is our identity, to be Christ follower first, then that being generous will naturally flow out of that. It's interesting because the scripture says that one day, Every person will give an account. Scripture says one day every person will give an account. We'll stand before God. And we will be held accountable for how we spent our days, how we loved our kids, what we did with our life. And we will be held accountable for how we spent our money. That's all part of it. And Matthew 25, 23 gives us an interesting look into heaven. It says, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And this is a moment that we see that our life on earth is a little bit of a practice run. That if we learn here to steward well and give generously, then in heaven, God says, I'm going to blow your mind. If the little things that I gave you, the wealth that you could earn on earth, if you can steward that well, if you can invest in my kingdom, if you can love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and give in that direction, then you know what? When you get to heaven, I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, the scripture uh, is relevant to a lot of different things, but I really do believe it's also relevant to how we are held accountable to the things that we do here. And so our identity matters. When you identify with being a child of God first, that will change how you spend what you have, your time, your resources, and your energy. I remember reading this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says this, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And what C.S. Lewis is saying there is that God has so much for us. If we would just let it go, let our grip go on all the things we think we have control of, he has so much for us. So in Luke 18, there's a passage in the Bible about a young man who had a lot of money. Scripture says he was a good guy. He was very religious. He kept all the commands very flawlessly. And Jesus told this upstanding guy that if he really wanted to know God, if he really wanted to understand God's heart, then he needed to sell all his possessions and follow him. And the man was sad about the conversation because he liked his stuff. And he liked Jesus. 
and, and he felt very conflicted and, and very sad, and, and he went away very sad. And ultimately, that young man decided that he had worked too hard for what he had. And so whatever he had to trade to get Jesus was just too important. Whatever he had to trade to get Jesus fully was just too intangible. And so he chose to keep his stuff rather than follow Jesus. Now, Jesus doesn't have this conversation in Luke 18 to shame the rich young ruler. He's not, he's not trying to, to say this is a universal principle or trying to bring guilt or shame to this young man. But the challenge that comes really clearly with the scripture is whether we are willing to give up all we have to follow him and to know God. In fact, I think the question that comes to mind is, are we willing to trade up? Are we willing to trade up? It's a question worth asking because the answer will shape your life in one direction or the other. So last week, I asked uh, Pastor Quint and Pastor Daniel to do an experiment for me as an illustration. And um, I asked them to start with a roll of toilet paper, all right, and go to some people's houses in our congregation and ask them uh, if they were willing to trade it for anything. <laughs> okay, one of you laughed. Come on. All right, so if they'd be willing to trade them for anything that's bigger or better. All right, it's a game called Bigger or Better. And I want to show you what happened. You want to see it? You have to clap to see it. All right. Let's see what happens. So hey, it's Pastor Quint and Pastor Daniel here, and we're playing a game called Bigger or Better, where we are going all around to some, uh, some houses of people in the congregation of Erie First, and we are seeing what they will trade us that is bigger or better than this here roll of toilet paper. All right, so we are at the home of Nate and April Schreiber, and we're gonna go in with this roll of toilet paper and see what they have that is bigger so we brought you a roll of toilet paper, and we're wondering what you could trade us from your home that is bigger or better than bigger the roll of toilet better. paper. Right. Bigger than this or better? I'll give you this scrap piece of copper in exchange for the toilet paper. Alright, it's bigger. Alright, so for our second stop here at uh I'll show you where we are. Hey guys, for our second stop on the game Bigger and Better, we came to my house. Can you guys all say hi to everybody at church? Hi. All right, so we're playing the game Bigger and Better. Nate gave us this big copper pipe, and we wondered what you might have that's bigger or better than this big copper pipe. It's not bigger, but it might be better. Oh, a drawer? Yeah, I don't know. I think... It's not bigger. It's not bigger. But it might be better. All right. Shake on it, AC. Thanks, guys. All right. So, we've got this wood drawer that my kids gave us for the big copper pipe. Right. One time, Pastor Steve told me that he has a beat-up old lawnmower in his garage that he wants to get rid of. He'd take the wood. He would take the solid wood. He would wood definitely drawer. take the wood. He's at work. 
but let's just go to his house, leave the drawer. All right, going from the east side to the west side. See you soon. So here we are in his very organized garage. All right, now he said there's two lawn mowers. I'm gonna guess he wants to keep the shinier one, but this little green guy here is definitely bigger and better than our drawer. So we'll leave this solid wood drawer for him. And uh, yeah, taking the bike. And Daniel's gonna take the bike. That's a separate, uh, separate thing that they'll work out on their own time. Pulling out of uh, Pastor Steve's house, we got ourselves a lawnmower in the back of this little Dodge Caliber, and uh, now we're gonna go see Mr. Joe Straub and see what we can get out of him. So we want toilet paper, pipe, pipe to cabinet, cabinet to mower. Yeah. All right, here we go. Bigger or better, we brought a lawnmower. What do you think? We were told it starts. A ladder tree stand. As he said, it is both bigger and better. So we're at Alan Larson's house, and he is going to trade uh, this rowing machine for the tree stand. Look at that. Interesting. All right, all right. We're leaving Alan Larson's house. And he has blessed us with a rowing machine in exchange for uh, row, a tree stand. Sally, row. So now we are headed to Dan Quigley's house, Pastor Nicole's dad. So we are headed there. Bigger or better than Bigger a rowing machine. Bigger or better than a rowing machine. We're at the Quigley residence. We are trading in the game Bigger or Better, the rowing machine. And Daniel, tell him what we got. He's going better, not bigger, better. He has a brand new Keurig machine here. What else did he throw in with it since we're in the middle of the teacher blessing <laughs> missions giving? <laughs> he also threw in a check for the teacher blessing. And so two of those combined definitely makes this better. So enjoy your rowing machine. We will, I feel healthier already. All right, sounds good. All right, so for our final stop on the game Bigger and Better, I'm here with Nicole's brother, Shane. And uh, he heard about this and he wanted to donate this awesome boat to Erie first. So here's what we're going to do. I can't give you this coffee maker and I'll take this boat. Does that sound good? Sounds great. All right. Well, thank you, sir. Appreciate it. And that concludes our game of Bigger and Better. So here I am, starting with this toilet paper. A few good trades later, <laughs> we got a Sunday afternoon there with a boat. Now think about it from Jesus' perspective. He comes from heaven, this perfect place, no tears, no pain, no heartache, and he comes to earth to offer eternity in heaven to anybody willing to repent and let go of whatever is giving them this false sense of security. Basically, Jesus says, look, none of this stuff you have is going to last, including you. So come and trade up. Come, follow me, and you can know God. Give, give up yourselves. Give up your, your rolls of toilet paper and all that stuff that feels so important to you right now and end up with something bigger and better, something so much bigger and better. Even then, this boat, end up with something with a life of, of hope and of purpose and of redemption. And in Luke 18, Jesus is asking the rich young ruler the same question that I believe he's asking us today. Will you take 
What you think defines you, will you leave it behind? And you, will you let me define who you are instead? Will you trade up? Because with Jesus, all this stuff is pretty meaningless if we don't have him as the center, if we don't have him as our promise of our, our hope for forever. And so would you stand this morning just to, to close today? I want us to pray. I wanna I want pray for two groups of people. So hang with me for a minute. But first, if you're here this morning and maybe you have never ever given your life to Christ and you wanna take your broken, busted up, lonely heart and you wanna trade up. You wanna take all the things that, 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 that you've been living for, you wanna repent and turn from your old life and you wanna ask Jesus to rule and reign in your heart. Right now, if everyone would just bow their heads just to give a little bit of privacy. If that's you, if you, if that's you, if you're like, I want to give my life to Christ today. I've never given my life to Christ. I just want you to raise your hand real high right now. I want to trade up. I want to trade my life for yours. Would you just pray this prayer with me if you raised your hand? Jesus, I'm sorry that I've lived far from you. I want to know you. I believe you died on a cross in an ultimate act of generosity and you paid the ultimate price and I want to trade my broken, sinful heart for a heart that follows you every day. God, I'm sorry for how I have had, had distance between us. I pray, Lord God, that I could trust that you died on a cross and that I can go to heaven and be with you forever and that we can be united. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer today, I want you to stop at these prayer tables before you leave on either side of me. There's some people there. They just want to give you some things to help you take your next step, okay? But before you go, I want to pray for one more group of people. I believe that um, some of you might be here today and you're saying, you know what? I feel like all I really have to give is toilet paper rolls. I don't have much. I just don't have a lot. I, my best efforts keep falling short. I don't feel like I have much to give. And I'm not just talking about resources. Maybe your, your insecurities are, are very real today. Maybe your heart feels really tired. Maybe you've been meaning to serve for a while, but you, know, you just haven't gotten around to getting your schedule tightened up. But, but here's the thing. Sometimes we feel like we don't have a lot to give. Sometimes we feel like we would give it all to God, but we just, it's just not very much. It's, it's just not very helpful. And if that's you this morning, I just want you to raise your hand right now. I just wanna pray for you. I just wanna pray for you real high. Don't get caught up with this pride stuff. We're all in this together. Nobody's exempt. All right, I see a few hands. Let's pray together. Jesus, I don't have much, but what I do have is all yours trade it up. Take my best intentions, take my insecurities, my weaknesses, the things that seem to hold me back, and just trade them up. I give them to you, God, that you can make them bigger and better and more for your purposes. I give it all to you every day, God. Would you multiply it? Would you use it? God, I want to be part of what you're doing in this kingdom. God, I want to be part of what you're doing in this city. I want to be part of what you're doing in this church, God, and I want to be a giver. 
I want to be a giver with a cheerful heart. I want to invest in the kingdom of God. Lord, the only thing that's going to last forever. And I want to live radically generous, not in my own strength. But God, because you, uh, you give me the, the ability to do so. I want to trade up, Father God. I want to trade up. And Lord, it's in Jesus' name. In Jesus' strong name I pray. Amen. Let's just thank Jesus for what he did here today. Please thank him. I love you guys. It's a privilege of my life to serve you as your pastor. If you have anything bigger or better than this boat, I'll be waiting up here. But otherwise, you have an incredible day. We'll see you next week.